What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience, the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest like most our guests, but um, Sarah, has, we've, we've uh, been on a podcast together. Sarah, the name of your podcast, let's let all the listeners know. It's Grit and Grace. And what's the reason for the name of your podcast? I feel my journey has been a little bit of grit. You got to be tough, but then God knows there's been a lot of grace that has gotten me through the adversity that I've been through. So I think we have both sides and being able to honor that dark and the light is what makes you resilient and gets you to the next level. I love that. So Sarah also not just has a podcast. There's a lot of other things. She has 30 years sober. She's a recovery Ooh. coach. She's a counselor like us. You run a nonprofit. Why don't I'll let you tell us about all the amazing things that you have going on. Well, I appreciate it. I feel so honored to be on this podcast. When I found you, Auntie, I was like, oh my gosh, she does CrossFit. And I was like, so excited because that is my whole premise is fitness, fitness and health. So just a bit of a backstory. I've been clean and sober for almost 31 years now. I got clean at 21. I was a heavy cocaine addict from about 14 to 21. And, you know, the reasons leading into that were, you know, the usual. I hated myself and made, I had some things happen to me and I made poor choices. And um, I, you know, I don't feel like there's anybody to blame. It just, it, it was a journey. And um, I decided one day I, I couldn't function anymore. I was, you know, doing over an eight ball a day at least. And it, it was ugly and I'd been given too much in this life. And I just, it was one of those Dr. Phil moments. I'm like, I can't, I've been given way too much in this life to be pissing it away. So I made the choice then and there. I actually did not tell my family that, um, well, my family knew my parents didn't know that I was drug addict. I was bulimic. I was a raging bulimic at the time. And I was also quite heavy. And so I told them I was bulimic. So I went into a facility, a hospital actually in Southern California for bulimia. And that's where I found exercise. I, and I had always been an athlete of some sort. I showed horses, I did soccer, but obviously being in a heavy addiction, I was obese at one time. Um, I just destroyed my body. I hated my body. So I did everything I could to destroy it. And so through addiction, you know, it wasn't exactly, um, exercise wasn't my primary goal. Um, even though I had a lot of energy, but, um, so <laughs> I, I went in, when I went into, um, the treatment center for bulimia, uh, I lied and said, I'd never bought it. And when I was in there, I felt like none of the counselors understood anything. They hadn't been through bulimia. They hadn't been through addiction. I'm like, how the F can you tell me how to live my life and get sober when you haven't been through anything? And so they'd all been book read. And, you know, looking back now, I have no idea if that's true. That's what I understood at that time. Right. And, I decided right then and there, I'm like, that's it. I'm going to work with youth. I'm, I'm going to work with youth because they need to talk to somebody who understands. So that started my journey into, you know, working with youth. And it has been uh, about a 25 year process on and off in different capacities. And um, I'm, I'm extremely blessed one to be alive. We were just talking about that. I should be dead or in jail with all the shit that I did. And that's where the part comes from too, is that I have been given a lot of grace and a second chance. So for me, being able to work with youth, what, when I came out of recovery or came out of the Center for Blamia, I have never touched drugs or alcohol again. And that's by the grace of God. There is no other reason rhyme for that. Thank you. And, yeah, I'm but clapping for you. Exercise addiction. 
I immediately went to, I'm going to go to the gym for today and eat all non-fat food. And, you know, and so looking back, I recognized that I switched addictions in that moment. I had to switch habits for and sure. fueled me and kept me clean. So it's not a bad habit to have if you're going to have no, a habit. I'll take it. I, when I talk to the youth I work with, I'm like, let's get you. And, you know, you were talking about the indicators that in all the years I've worked with these kids, I look at what are the main, not, not what the facilities, you know, matrix metrics are. What do I see that has worked? One, it's a job. So they feel some sort of self-empowered and, and have use and value and some sort of health and fitness, whatever yeah. that looks like, you know, because with your CrossFit, with what I do, getting into health and fitness, all my other habits, the smoking, you know, all the other, you know, potentially negative things fell away because I started feeling better about myself and hell, I can do 10 pushups now. Okay. You know, so, um, I, I love, love what you do with the CrossFit in your, you know, in your facility. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. I love that, that all, everything you just said got me super fired up. Just like the, <laughs> the passion for recovery, the passion for helping, you know, the youth and, I identify with the youth too, as like being kind of a younger counselor, being someone that has almost seven years sober, but at 28, I can really relate. Like you kind of had that, that niche too, of relating to the younger clients and the younger people in recovery. So I just, I really connect with that. And I think what you're saying is super valid The having the job, the working out and having like some structure, having to be responsible, all of that was just extremely helpful and it kind of got me thinking like what else have you seen to be extremely beneficial for maybe like the youth specifically so as we all know you know at 31 i still do it a ton of work on myself you me know, too <laughs> 31 i'm almost 52 and you know i can't i can't go in and say oh yeah it all was better as soon as i quit using it's a journey and at each stage, to be very honest, my brain allowed me, there were some things that have come up for me about my past that I've only addressed like, you know, 20 years into my sobriety. So that journey is acknowledging the youth where they're at. One of the biggest things I have learned, yes, I'm a drug and alcohol counselor. Yes, I'm a recovery mentor, I'm a QMHA. But one of the biggest things I learned is that from the youth that I work with, I'll never forget in one of the groups, this, we were talking about something and the girl looked at me, she goes, I can't do any better. And that was one of the most profound statements because I realized that this, this is their truth. This is normal for them. So here all of us are trying to change their behaviors and let's, let's do CBT and DBT. And I'm not saying this, those modalities don't work, but bottom line, this kid was like, I don't know any different. I know nothing different. Okay. So what, do, how do we address that, you know, maybe mom's a prostitute and actually has John's in the room with them. How, how do we address that, that that's normal? How do we address that mom and dad, or there is no dad, mom's a drug addict, like that's their normal. And so they don't see a need to change. And so how do we address that? What does that look like? For me, when I work with these kids as a mentor, I never address the drug use. It's all about, okay, what do you like to do? And I don't know about you, but 99% of the kids I've ever worked with are like, I don't have a clue. They're like, I have no idea. I don't know what I like. I don't have anything. Okay, well, let's go try stuff. You know, let's go skiing. Let's go for a walk. Let's do art. Um, you know, so for me, and again, I've done a boatload of research and, you know, trying to figure out what it is to really help. And you have to switch habits. It is research backed. You have to switch your habits. You can't go from being a drug addict with all of these, you know, we have a very um, structure about our habits, right? 
I called, I went to the house, I dressed a certain way, like there's a structure and a habit to it. So in order for me to now deal with all the emotional input that's coming in, the anger, the sadness, the fear, all this shit, now that I'm sober, unless I find another habit to replace that with, my brain is going to go, no, this is what cured that before. So it's literally for me, the biggest thing is identifying new habits for these kids that they can get into and showing them some wins. Most of them of have been a piece of shit their whole life. You know, I don't know about you, but I was, my messaging was, unless you look a certain way, you're not valuable. You know, I don't think my parents meant to, but that's what I got. That's what I took from it. So my whole childhood, you were a mistake. You know, your ears stuck out, you're pigeon toed, unless you look a certain way. So that was my identity. Of course. So until, until I can find another something that actually changes that identity with fitness and exercise. Uh, but again, working, even if it's at McDonald's, these kids are like, like they're so empowered. I mean, realizing that they can have a job and you know what? I can do this on my own. I don't have to do it that way. And then being able to find a new habit. Um, again, working's a new habit. It provides structure. Um, so those are some of the biggest things ongoing. And honestly, getting away from their families. I, I mean, that sounds horrible. But, <laughs> but it's true. That trigger, it's, you know, when they leave, one of my big goals with my nonprofit is to open a center to where these kids don't have to go home after treatment, 12 to 17 year olds. Because you step on that doorstep, it's a trigger. You're For brave. sure. This is, this is where I do drugs. This is where I was raped. This is where, you know. And so how do you make, you know, expect a 14 year old to then progress, especially if mom and dad are still doing the same shit? So uh, for me, two of the biggest things, honestly, are health and fitness in some capacity. It doesn't mean that they're doing CrossFit, you know, but it means that they're actually walk to work. It means that they're having a job. And like you said, structure is critical and acknowledging their wins, acknowledging that they have success. One of the things that I do is I have them at the end of my program, I have them fill out a 30 day calendar with all their appointments, with their counselor, with school, and then check it off. And then they get, you know, a coffee card if they show it to me. But I'm like, look at everything you did in 30 days. Look at this. You can do it. And so it's 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 them being because all they feel is worthless and useless and they'll never amount to anything. So being able to physically show them that they can do something, even if it's, you know, a simple thing of going to school, that's huge for some of these kids. So I think that's amazing. I think about even, of course, I'll bring it back to CrossFit, but you know, you, you keep track of your scores so that you always go, oh, hey, look, I actually went a little faster. I lifted a little heavier. I got a PR, you know, so there's little like acknowledgements along the way to show the baby steps. And that does feel good. You know, it releases that hormone and you're like, oh, all this hard work is actually paying off. It's huge. And with CrossFit, and I know it's a huge thing, it's the community. You know, it is being in community. It is a huge thing. And, you know, at 13, 14, 15, you got clean. I got clean at 21. We got clean very young. Having just change your entire friend circle is hard. It's difficult, yeah. It's, it's, and that is one of the biggest challenges I see, especially in the smaller towns that I work in. Everybody knows every, it's, as you know, what I don't know about you, but when I got clean, people who were still using wanted to drag me back in. They didn't Absolutely. want to. They wanted me to stay where they were because then they'd have to look at their own shit. So <laughs> being able to be in a community, the CrossFit and, you know, and again, the research goes when you're doing a sober activity through exercise, that's going to imprint on your brain so much more than it is um, if you're just sitting in a chair getting therapy. 
you know, so being able to have those endorphins, you know, it's the runner's high. It's, we actually get a physical release and a high from exercising. And so when they can see that, like you said, the community is, most of these kids and adults have never had an entire group of people going, yes, you can do it, you can do it. It's like, wait, they don't want anything from me, you know, because they don't trust anybody, obviously. Um, but when you have that community all towards the same common goal, and like you said, tracking is huge, you know, and again, research, you write that down, you remember that more and that's going to be implemented. So everything that you're providing for this community is, it's just huge. So. Yeah, I love that. And it's objective too. You get to see the results. You can't deny that they're happening. You can't deny that they're not real or make yourself wrong about doing something right for yourself. If that's like your pattern or your like mental set up to not allow yourself to win because that's your story or whatever it may be. I yeah. definitely wanted to look into the 30 day program thing that you were talking about. You mentioned you have a 30 day program. Is it yours? Is it your company or was it like a 30 day treatment center that you were talking about? So I'm not sure. So I went to, a, I think it was 60 days. I honestly, I'm, I'm old now. So it's 30, <laughs> 60 days, but the facility that I work at due to insurance purposes, you know, it's about 60. My program itself, so I've developed a curriculum. It's called Thug Life. And the first part is, and it all stands for something. And it's all about um, awareness is the first part. And then the last part is all about solution focused. Um, right. Thoughts, habits, understanding goals, you know, the basics. It is very customizable. I was just, uh, actually when COVID hit, I was fortunate enough to work in a facility here called Rimrock. And I ran a 12-week program with the kids. I went in twice a week, once with the boys, once with the girls. And awesome. ran that for it is extremely customizable because each facility, when I work with kids at the um, Deschutes County Juvenile, it's, it may not be able to go six weeks. So I have to take, you know, she's like, hey, this kid's on bench probation. He needs or he or she needs four hours. And this is what their main struggle is. OK, great. So then I can adapt it to that. So I've really made it to where the concepts are doable in. Obviously, we want a longer time to instill that. But being able to do it in a short time, you know, at least they can get something from it. Uh, one of the schools I was working at up in Prineville, uh, an alternative school, which I also hate that name, but um, <laughs> I was on a six week um, rotation. And so I was just going in for six weeks to run my program. Well, actually the kids ended up loving it. So I just kept going. I would run six weeks through a certain cohort and then just keep going. And again, I would have new kids come in. So I, again, I would have to adapt it to where they're at. So it's very adaptable. It can be 30 days, you know, the longer, the better, as you know, obviously to be able to get those in. So it's, it's something I've created. It's none of the concepts are, you know, like Sarah Vincent created, um, but being able from my own experience and research and, okay, this is what we have to address. And um, again, I have uh, revamped some things over the time because I've learned so much from the kids when I'm running these programs. You know, it's like, okay, oh, wow, that's a really good point. You know, and again, I'm in financial education. One of the things that has really come up for me is like, what is the, what is the basis for all of this, for addiction? Like, what is it? It's hopelessness. Like, you feel completely hopeless. So you get in this vicious, vicious cycle. And for me, it's like, you know, especially the, and I'm sure the adults, but with the kids, the families are broke. They're broke and they're broken. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so then they feel broken and hopeless. So then they spend more money on drugs than they have no money. It's just this vicious cycle. And so I was fortunate enough to get into financial education services, which I've been in. And it has been 
it's been amazing because I think education, you know, again, you asked me about what the biggest thing is being able to educate these kids on something different. And a couple of kids I've worked with, I've known for 10 years and they have jobs. They've been clean for maybe a year, two years. And now they, they want to save money. Like they're like, <laughs> I don't want to live like my parents. I don't want to do that anymore. And so being able to give them that education has been, it's been priceless. They can do what they want with it. I mean, I'm not a savior. They have to make that choice. For sure. Um, but it's awesome to be able to educate them. No, that's huge. That sounds so cool. And I love that. And I love the points that you're hitting on as far as like the hopelessness and the community and kind of the toxic influence, whether that be like their social scene or the small town vibe or even their parents. We do something at our program too. It's called like toxic people. And it's an assignment where we literally just look at the people that are not in our corner that look like they are in our corner. And so, and that's actually part of some of the jobs that I do of getting with every client and being like, who's not on the team and who is on the team and who looks like they're on the team, but isn't really on the team. And we kind of dive into that and set boundaries, cut people out, make those hard conversations. And my favorite part about it is that we do it real time. Like, it's like, Hey, you're not going back to group until oh, we call this that. person oh my and, I, gosh. and they hate That's it, awesome. but then they love it. I'm like, no, yeah, we're calling them or we're texting them. We're writing them a letter. Like they're out of your life now. And I'm going to show you how to set boundaries. I'm going to show you how to stick up for yourself and your recovery and where you're trying to go. And it's, you know, it, it changes lives. Just that aspect that they're valuable enough to make a decision to have a better future. That is so powerful. And you do it while they still have the safety of treatment. For so sure. This and setting these boundaries not when they're out and they can go relapse in two seconds, but they have the safety of being and being able to deal with counseling. I, I love that. And I love that it's real time because as with, I don't care if you're an addict or not, you know, making a decision and then like, Oh, I'll do it later, you know? And so being able to do it. And like you said, it shows them again that they have value and they can do it. And one of, one of the part of my program is um, uh, life and the F in life is friendships and same mm -hmm. thing. Okay, you have three, you know, past friends, you have friends, um, real friends, um, part-time friends, and drive-by friends is what I call it. I and like I, that. Yeah, so drive-by like, friends. <laughs> yeah, basically, like, yeah, you'd see them, you might wave, but then you might say, oh, they're a dick. You know, like, that's not a real friend. And the hardest thing, again, is one, I'll know, there's just things that you don't forget. There's just one boy in one of his class. Before I ever started, every day, okay, what are you grateful for? I always start with gratitude. What are you grateful for? And then I make them put, I have these deck of cards, um, different ones, and they have to pick one and it has a word on it. And then they read what it is. And I'm like, do you identify with that? So we always start with, you know, changing that mindset before we go into it. But he would always be thankful for his dad. And I'm like, okay, let's be specific. What are you thankful for? Well, he pays for this. Well, the teacher, after like one of the first classes, she goes, it's very interesting. She goes, he beats the shit out of his mom. And I thought that, and just like you said, them being able to identify what is toxic and what is not is a really hard, like they don't want to see that this person isn't healthy and isn't in their corner. Like that is one of the, it's really hard. And especially when you get um, families in specific cultures, um, mm -hmm. uh, very specific niches or, you know, smaller towns, like I said, it's being able for them to see no, they're, they're toxic. And part of it is they just don't want to change. Let's be real. We don't want to change. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, my mom's doing meth with me. This is a 
family bonding. We're time. bonding. She loves me. <laughs> she loves me. She supports me. Yeah, she bought it. But it's true. It's like it is. And, and the parents, and I'm sure you see this. They want their kids as sick as they are. That is one of the hardest things I see. You're just as sick as your, you know, excuses or whatever that saying is, but they don't want their kid getting clean. I had a kid go home after she was doing awesome. I mean, I, I was very concerned. She went home and her mom gave her meth from graduating a drug and alcohol program. You know, they just. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, and that's when it's hard because they're so close to you. You trust them and they're the hardest ones to see. I mean, the drug mm-hmm. dealer is the obvious toxic person, but mm-hmm. it's usually much closer to home is the one that's sort of continuously pushing them down. And it is hard to see. It's hard to confront and definitely hard to handle, um, especially if you're dependent on them. I can only imagine for kids who literally, uh, you know, have to be at that home and depend on them. You feel like you kind of have to play ball. There's some obligation there to be that person with them and 99 percent of these kids have taken care of their parents or their siblings they have not had a childhood they've had to be the adult and it is you know in this particular it's literally 90 plus percent most of these kids are much older than you know um they present yeah because they've had to be and you know the the scary thing is you know you say the drug dealer is the obvious bad person when you have 25 year old men preying on these young girls, like, oh, I'll, I'll take care of you. Your family sucks. They don't see that, you know, it's again, it's just going from, you know, you attract what your thoughts are. So, okay, this is where I'm at. And so then they go to this older man, you know, who says, oh, I'll take care of you. And it's, it's just the toxic, it, it is so tragic to see, you know, these older men prey on. And I've seen a couple women do it to younger guys, but for the most part, it has been, you know, obviously 20, 30 year old men preying on these 14, 15. I mean, like, oh my God. So is that kind of what got you into, we were talking about the trafficking earlier, is seeing that kind of thing? You know, it has been, so there's a lady here named Nita Bells and she runs in our backyards. And I met her probably 10 years ago at my church. And that's when I ever really learned about trafficking. Like I never thought of it, I think. And so I did, um, I've just been in touch with her. She's just an amazing woman. And so I've, you know, I've known this space, but then being in the population that I work with now, I've had multiple, I've had three girls be trafficked locally and, and they won't tell me about it. Obviously they're like, no, they threatened to kill my sister. They've threatened, you know, and like they'll put themselves in harm's way to protect their sibling and um, containers. Like I'm just in tears. Like, I'm like, this is happening. It like, this is happening in our backyard. And so I'm a woman of faith. My faith is very, very strong. And when I keep hearing the same thing and reading it, hearing it, seeing it, I need to follow it. And yeah. trafficking has really come into my space lately. Um, one of my big passions is I want to be a liaison between the police and the youth. And that is a space that, you know, the kids that I work with, again, they're doing things illegal. But as, you know, a couple like, oh, yeah, officer so-and-so was awesome. They treated me great. And, you know, but 90% are like, they were such a dick. And I'm like, as a police, I'm not a police officer. I don't understand that. But do you think a 12 year old wants to be addicted to heroin? Like this isn't their choice. Do you think they want to be in a trap house? You know, and so being able to at least have them understand that, you know, have more compassion. You know, the statistics show that if you come from a home that you've been abused sexually, physically, one parent, one parent's incarcerated, whatever, some horrible situation, if you have one adult to speak into your life at all, you know, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a coach, somebody, a mentor, 
um, your chances of being a successful adult go up by 67%. It's wow. Even if you come from horrific, I'm, you have interviewed people, you both I'm sure have come from horrific circumstances. And so having that one adult, it could be that one police officer. It could be that one person say, hey, you know what? Let, let's get you where you go. You know, just speaking to them differently literally could speak life into them. So um, the trafficking space is, it's so heartbreaking. You know, we're I-5 corridor here and it is, it's a deep, it's so deep and so wide. Um, You know, like I said, I want part of my nonprofit vision and I, it will happen. I was telling Angie, the need is too great, but I want to open this um, Central Oregon Youth Academy and I have this property I want, Uh, but I wanted the kids from, you know, out of treatment, 12 to 17, come and live. I don't care if it's a year. I have five different business models. They can get their, you know, whatever. I have a whole thing. But with this anti-trafficking, I'm like, you know what? It needs to be the it needs to be the place where these kids come out of trafficking and can get their lives back, and they can live there a year. Thirty days isn't going to work. You know, we go back to old habits in two days. So, you know, having a so I I feel that that's where my vision and direction is going with that because that's also it's a huge need. You know, we can get kids and get youth out of trafficking, but again, the percentage is staggering to go back into trafficking. Yep. Staggering because it's just familiar like we were talking about of course it's familiar someone's taking care of them uh yeah it's bad i i love 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 that purpose that is so amazing and you're right i mean you have i don't know if i could do it just like you said because the stories are so heartbreaking and seeing what these kids go through and then you know watch them go back to it so i love that you you like have that year-long commitment because you're right i think getting them away from that the longer they're away from it then they start gaining their worth and their value they're working they're working out and that's truly going to be their escape finally because it's you know as you know with addiction it's a process and i think so many I got really disillusioned with treatment centers just in general because it's especially with youth you know and i understand there's federal rules regulations but you come in you'd go sit down these kids are my feral kids one of this counselors said it before i'm like they are <laughs> kids most of them come off the streets they've had no structure in home they haven't been in school in years which i can't even wrap my head around but then okay sit down go to dbt go to cbt go do this go do that go you know living with boys and girls in the, but they can't talk to each other like and then you expect them to somehow get better. Like it doesn't make sense. Like Mm-mm. the brains aren't developed. And again, you deal with adults. These kids that are 17 in age are about 12, 13 developmentally, you know? And so um, being able to look at it like you do from a holistic system, you know, I have, a, we're going to adopt the oldest dogs at every shelter. And so each person, each kid in there has their own dog to take care of. I love that. We're going to work out there. We're going to have businesses. I'm going to have a coffee bar. They're going to learn entrepreneurial skills. They want to finish school. They can, Um, but, and to have therapy, obviously ongoing therapy. But one of the research um, that I was doing was talking about, you switch habits kind of based on your addiction almost, you know, somebody who's been addicted to pot or downers. A lot of times, maybe art is their vein. Maybe, you know, something um, music, music is huge. Um, so being able to have access to those tools to find out what fills them and, and can deal with, you know, the constant bombardment of uh, emotions, um, that is my, that's my ultimate goal is to have a holistic, that's why I say I have holistic fitness because you have to be fit. I have the F5, faith, family, fitness, friends, and finance, and you have to be, this is a holistic approach. It It is 
you guys know this. I mean, it, this isn't a one size fits all. And it, I, I tell these kids, like the one I just had to take a kid to court yesterday. She turned, you know, I was telling you, she, as soon as she turned 18, she kind of went off the deep end. And I'm like, you don't want to be in the adult system. I'm like, you don't, you don't. Her attorney who's been with her since she was 13 was like, I told you the adult <laughs> doesn't care. It's you're a number and that's it. And so being able to, you know, give them some sort of purpose, you know, and see that they have value um, away from the triggers, away from family and not saying you can't integrate family, but there needs to be a lot of boundaries around. around oh. oh, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I love the idea of almost like this holistic ranch of like healing. And it's cool because a lot of the things that I'm hearing being said is, you know, whether it's trafficking or domestic violence or abusive parents or drug addiction, it all it all presents the same. And the solutions are generally kind of the same, which is restoring a person and restoring a person, even though that's the same for all those different little spider webs restoring the person is also so different. And so I, I keep hearing you say like, all, I want to do all these things. I want to meet these, these kids or these, these, the youth, I guess is the best way to say that where they're at. And the cops don't do that. And treatment centers don't always do that. And they can just become a number and we know what's right and you don't. And it becomes yeah. this preachy thing of we know better. You don't know. And then we just like project what we think they should be doing onto them. And it doesn't always work. It hardly ever works. (laughs) No, and you both have been through addiction, so you can relate. And a lot of times in these facilities, they don't come from addiction. And so, you know, you're trying to deal with, you know, again, I'm not knocking anything, but just from a realistic living it, walking it, you see that. Like people will talk to you because you've been through it. You know, I've worked, again, I'm 52, but for, I'm a kid at heart, and I relate <laughs> to this population. Like, they freaking love me, and it's because I'm real with them, I don't bullshit, and I've been through something. I've been, it doesn't look like maybe what they've been, they've been through a lot of things worse than me. But they can, you know, it resonates, you know, they have been, like you said, each one of our addictions is different, or the way we got there, and so being able to weave in everything to really find out what, what looks, because most of you know, when you come, when, when you think about treatment, okay, I got to quit drugs. Like you're looking at the outcome, not the journey to then, you know, and we have, you know, Suboxone and all, you know, so people are still using things to get clean. Um, I see a lot of people, you know, smoke Jiminy Christmas, you know, three, four or five packs. And um, I don't, it's not, you know, people ask me a lot about harm reduction and I've had to change my stance. You know, I'm like, if I got a kid who was doing meth and now she's smoking pot a few times a day, I'm golden. You know what? Yeah. She, has a job. she has a job, you know? And so it's, again, it's looking at the holistic picture. It's like, don't punish them. I just feel a lot of what we do in this industry is, um, is very punitive. It's very, mm-hmm. the models are punitive. Let's take away points. Um, and it's not, it's not going towards well, you know, and again, research backed, if you praise and praise the little things, you're going to have a lot better outcome than going, okay, well, I'm, they've been punished their whole lives. I mean, that's all they've been told and they don't do well. And so now here you're, you're just creating, you're strengthening their crappy identity of themselves. Absolutely. By, by being in that punitive model. So 
I don't know, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but I really <laughs> like what you said. It reminds me of when I when I went to my first rehab, I was 16 years old. And, um, you know, I went I went in for all this other <laughs> stuff. And, and I was I was a big smoker back then. And my mom was furious that cigarettes? I was a smoker. Yeah, cigarettes. Gotcha. And, and she, um, <laughs> but they let me smoke in the rehab even though yeah. I was 16 back then. And my mom's like, she's got to quit everything. And they're like, dude, one step at a time. Like we'd much rather she wasn't doing that harder stuff she was doing than smoking a cigarette. Like we'll, we'll get there. And we do similar things, you know, uh, at our facility, not, not with the weed, but certainly, you know, if they're smoking, um, they're vaping, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's like the least thing we're worrying about. And usually if they are like really big into CrossFit, they'll eventually let those go too. Exactly. But you pick your battles. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. I always tell the clients that, cause I coach CrossFit too. I'm the, the coach there. And I always tell them like CrossFit is what helped me quit smoking four years sober. Like I, I didn't quit smoking when I got sober. I spent four years smoking two packs a day and thinking that I was healthy and going to the gym and eating Big Macs for calories and, you know, which is, it's probably, you probably heard that on, on the CrossFit episode. Yeah. (laughs) And it's the truth. So them seeing like, Hey, it's okay to smoke, but like, let's use this as kind of a stepping stone to think about quitting. It's crazy. I I love seeing that happen in real time. And we don't, I don't knock them for smoking. I'll almost make a joke. I'm like, how's that working for you? You know, and they're like, dude, it's not working. Right. And then they quit on their own when it becomes their idea. And that's just it. We all know you're not going to quit anything as ex-addicts. You know, nobody could tell me to quit. I mean, I used to do so much cocaine and be like, oh, yeah, we're all addicts. Look at the, you know, I mean, you're not going to quit unless you want. You know, you can send a person by force, by jail, by, you know, external forces all day long. And unless it's an internal job, it's going to be very, very difficult. And. You know, you do the same thing. I don't address the drugs, which they're just waiting for me to tell them to quit using. I'm for like, sure, yeah. <laughs> you're going to do, I'm not going to get you to quit. I'm like, you do what you need to do. But okay, let's focus on what you want to do. Do you have a goal in life? You know, again, most of these kids will never go to college. Um, and most, you know, some are like, yeah, well, I do. I want to be, you know, a beautician. I'm like, great, here's the school, you know, and I'll help them. Let's go fill an application. Let's go take a tour. Um, and working with community partners is critical. And I'm sure you've seen, um, I, it's amazing when I started reaching out, seeing how many people are in recovery and, or had a problem and want to help. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, the kids sometimes just aren't ready. Um, they're just, you know, a lot of these kids can't get a job. They're 13, 14. Nobody's going to hire them. That's why for me, it's huge to have, when I do open this facility, that we have multiple businesses to be able to get them, you know, engaged in. Um, but it's not, it's just not about quitting drugs. Like, you know, like I said, I was obese at one time and then I was bulimic and then I've gotten on stage and done competitions. And, you know, the whole point is it's like, it's not about not eating that bad thing. It's about what, why am I doing it? Why am I putting that in? And it's filling a void. It's make it's, it's, I, you know, it's strengthening that idea identity that I hate myself and I hate my body. So, you know, looking at it from a different point, well, what can I do to, to change that identity and who to become the person I really want and know I can become. And I don't know if it's different for youth or for, you know, adult, like who's more motivated. Um, but that's a good question. You know, it's, you know, and a lot of times the adults, some of them have kids. And so that's their impetus. Some are like, fuck, I've just done this for 20 years, 30 years, and I don't care anymore. And I don't want to get clean, you know, and it's so ingrained. Um, and you see a lot longer, um, 
the health effects of long, 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 long-term use is much more severe, um, obviously. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, I think so. that's huge. I think that's a great question of, right? And not, not a great question for sure, but I love the thing that we notice with the adults is it's a lot longer of a process to unlearn. And I think the the silver lining of the youth, the silver lining of me being younger, you being younger, Angie being younger when we got sober, is there wasn't as much unlearning, you know, maybe five, six, seven years <laughs> yeah. compared to like decades. You know, we get some people that are 60, have been drinking alcoholically for 40 years. I'm 28 telling them how to live their life. Oh, man, those are the hardest conversations I have to have because you just they just don't want to listen. And it's it's a difficult conversation. I'm sure you experience that with the youth of what do you know and you're not a kid like me and no one gets it. Those conversations are difficult. Sure. Well, kids think kids think they're invincible. You know, it's 100%. like, oh, yeah, yeah. Down the road. I'm only I'm only 15. Why do I got to get sober now? That's for, that's a later problem. Yeah. Let me live. Let 100%. me party. <laughs> yep, 100 percent. Change is hard. I don't care where you're at in your life. Change is it's easy. And I still find myself gravitating towards I call it comfortably miserable, like choices that I know aren't benefiting me, but it's comfortable and safe. And that's what we see so much, you know, not just recidivism with addicts, but relapse because it's safe. And I feel like the underlying reason is because we haven't created new habits. You know, one of the things with the kids that, again, that I work with, and I, I learned this from another kid, they're like, it's a whole ritual. You know, going to get high is a ritual. You know, you have your pipe or whatever, you have the baggie, you like, it's a ritual. And so they're like, yeah, that's why I smoke. That's why I vape, why I do something else, because it's something with their hands too. You know, and so, like I said, when we address addiction, like all those little things that I don't think most people think about, you know, and being able to really listen to the, the youth and say, you know, what, what works or what doesn't or how, how can we meet them where they're at is really powerful because I'm like, I get it. Like it was a whole, like I remember like when I got clean, I couldn't go to Tahoe anymore. Tahoe was my stomping grounds, uh, North Shore. I couldn't go there for a year. And then I would find myself like taking an exit, like just out of habit because those my addiction was habitual you know good bad or indifferent it was a habit you, you know you dress a certain way you make a certain call and so especially at a younger age what do you feel that i can go to a party i can hang out with those people no honey that's probably not the best choice um, and then they you know and then they'll fill it with sex you know the 13th step um, and of course. then with people and you know just start creating that identity of self-loathing again you know, so how do we really look at meeting them where they're at? Meaning, hey, if you want to smoke, smoke. If you want to vape, it, it creates that. But, you know, how is hanging out with people that are still using? Like, well, my friends, you know, they're good. They know I'm quitting. I said, that's not fair to your friends either, though. I'm like, that's, you know, uh, not a, a fair thing to do. But so it, it's to me, it's it's really we have to address the habits like like you do at a holistic standpoint and recognizing that you you're going to make this change on that damn phone right now. Like, I love that. <laughs> that is huge, though. You know, I think that's, it, it won't happen otherwise. Yeah, I mean, just just to dive just a little deeper, we take it to yes. the depths where we have them go through their entire contact list, their entire Instagram, their entire Facebook, literally every connection that they have to these um, not pro not good people and and wipe them all away so that when they leave they've got a very clean slate so they're I, hand, handling the people that they 
need to, but then they're also just letting go of everyone they don't need to. And that and can be really hard. Like, I can't even imagine doing that. Again, you know, we didn't do that back when I got sober, but I, I can't imagine what that process is like for these guys. It's a, no. it's a, yeah, it's a in thing. social it, media, you know, you're 28. You've been in, your whole life has been social media. You know, absolutely. When I was a kid. And, and that's, you know, if you look at social media, like I see kids selling drugs online. Like my, my yes. mom, like, look. They're selling meth. They're selling, hey, you want to come over? And, you know, and I'm like, Snapchat. Talk, they sell drugs on Snapchat. The about it, you know, and they're like, we can't monitor everybody's page, but the ability to one, you know, be bullied, um, to sell drugs, it's just social media has taken on such a new dimension to addiction. Mm-hmm. 100%. And it's it become is, an addiction of its own, too. Oh, 100% it's addiction. And we're, we're going to see generations of fallout from that. But um, like you were saying, like I, in Rimrock, where I used to work, and now I'm a recovery mentor there, uh, contract, but they would do the same thing. You know, like if one of their boyfriends wanted to write a letter or a girlfriend, they would go through it with a counselor, and then they would, you know, then we, they would, you know, same thing. They would go on social media, look at the pages. Okay, is this, you know, and then they would do it with them while they're in there, and they have that safety. It's huge. And then I would also do um, memory walks. So like some of these kids had certain trails that they would go meet their dealers on. Or tunnels. So then I would take the kid there, you know, we'd go get lunch, make it a, you know, walk through it, you know, we would identify, you know, what's coming up for them um, and, and do that. So in real time, but then being able to go back to the safety of treatment was huge. Um, wow, I love that, that. That's amazing. That's yeah, great. it was, I love that. I thought that was, I really liked that. And, you know, one of the, one, as a recovery mentor for these kids, my thing was, let's get you set up for success before you walk out of these doors. You want a job in the county that you live in? Tell me what you want to do. So I'll look up numbers. I'll look up facility. Do you have, you know, hours, community service hours you have to do? Great. Here's a list of, you know, so we all know all this. Oh, I just want to go home and relax for a few days. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not <laughs> it. Totally not they missed yet. the boat. <laughs> yeah. So being able to successfully, whether they use it or not, at least they have the tools. They have the phone numbers. And I don't know about adults, but one of the things, too, that I learned one, I had given this kid a phone number to where she could get a job, the application, everything. And she's like, I don't, I'm too scared to make the call. And I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. Like, right. I didn't even make the call. So we would sit together. We would put on speaker and I would literally walk her through that. You know, so that's what like we're not. It's just there's so much more than just giving them the tools. They don't even know how to do it. Their parents a lot of times don't have jobs and have lived off disability or whatever, um, or illegal shit. And so (laughs) it was just heartbreaking. She's like, I'm too scared. And I'm like, thank you for telling me. First of all, thank you for being vulnerable enough to tell me, okay, well, let's, let's dial the phone together. You know? (laughs) And so there's just so many ways to, um, really meet any addict where they're at, but we have to ask the questions. I think so many, uh, one, I, I think there's a lot of um, not enough trained staff to deal Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Or we co- and we put all of our own shit, um, counter transference. Um, and, yep. you know, and so I, I feel like there's not enough listening. We want to tell them what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And what we really need to do. And I've had to learn is to take a step back and really listen. Have you ever heard of um, collaborative problem solving CPS model? I have not. I've heard I've it sounds familiar, but I, I couldn't say with 100 percent confidence. I feel good about telling you I've heard about it. I feel like it's we've done some teams 
probably that are similar, but I'll let you explain what probably. that is. Oh, it's, it was transformational. It was a training that we did at Rimrock. I had about five years ago and I honestly couldn't tell you the whole thing, but the whole premise is coming at things from empathy. Mm-hmm. The whole premise is kids w- will do well if they can like that simple. And so I love that listening, like literally listening and meeting the kids with empathy. It changed my parenting. It changed my relationship with my kids. It changed how I worked with the youth because of course they want to say, you know, fuck the system. Everybody's free and they're so stupid. My blah, blah, you know, of course, you know? And so instead of me going, okay, well, what can we do? No, it's like, you know what? You're right. That's gotta be so hard. I can't imagine like, yeah, it is. I'm like, okay, that's got to be hard. And just listening, literally, it was revolutionary. It seems so simple, but it changed the dynamic of how I work with the population, uh, my relationships in general. It taught me to listen more and to be more, just come from, come at things from an empathy. Uh, <laughs> real time, when I went through this course, I had my kid, my younger daughter was maybe six, seven. She wouldn't brush her damn teeth. And I'm like, honey, I said, I know you've been struggling with brushing your teeth. I said, you know, is there, do you not like your toothbrush? Do you not like the toothpaste? She goes, mom, I hate the toothbrush or the toothpaste. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Easy fix. I never had a problem again. I'm like, dude, you mean yelling doesn't work as a parent? Wait. (laughs) So coming at things from, from that empathetic standpoint. And again, the population we work with, they've never been kind to themselves. They don't forgive themselves, you know, um, and that's their identity. They feel like a piece of shit. It's what they've been told. And so having a person to be like, dude, that's got to be hard. I can't, whether we agree with it or not, doesn't matter. That's got to be really hard. I can't imagine dealing with that. You're right. Has literally, it has been a really, it has been pivotal for me in dealing with these kids and myself, to be very honest. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I've, I've definitely implemented that strategy, I guess, just in different language. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, being able to just not assume that they're wrong. And like, what if they were right? And what if this all right. made sense? Because it uh, does to them. And that idea to blanket that on all conversations and all clients and all youth, it seems crazy and it's so difficult, but the outcomes are night and day. Like yes. we had to be empathetic to understand that there was something happening with the teeth brush, like the tooth brushing, the brushing yeah. of the teeth. <laughs> and until we were like, okay, maybe they're not wrong. Something's happening here. How can I be understanding? Then it's like this easy thing. Like, oh, dude, the toothpaste is garbage. And it's yeah. like, oh, cool. But we, we have to get ourselves there to see that. So yeah, it's yeah. like, it's weird yeah. to think we're half the problem. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm like 99. Okay, well, I'm really 100% of the problem most of the time. And, yeah, uh, yeah, me too. True. And, and you know, and it, as a parent, I don't care if you're a parent or not, but you know, a lot of this, we don't forgive ourselves. And it took me, I, I went through a very bad divorce um, and my kids have been through hell. And it mm. took me years to forgive myself for ever bringing them into this world to put them through that. And you know, being able to understand that this is God's journey, God knows, you know, turning it over. Yeah. getting out of my own way and you know like you said uh, so clearly in the social work field we're not paid a lot which you know the the fields that do the most um get paid the least like, yeah yeah and so you don't have staff you do because you're doing the right model but you don't you see staff who either are massive transference 
um, or they're triggered by a kid or, you know, and so when we're trying to work with this, we, we don't even get to the underlying issues 90% of the time, I feel like, you know, yeah. I mean, we talked, I, I would love to have a pre-programmed 30 day wilderness, just go out, detox everything and just strip them down, get raw, no phone, not literally, no, don't send me an email. No, um, naked yeah. and afraid. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that. So I won't make you, um, you know, but getting, there's so much underlying from, you know, who's working with this population and the parameters around working with the population that I feel like, you know, so much is never, we're not really ever addressing how to truly help. I mean, we can give tools and skills, but a lot of them aren't even ready to hear it. Like they're not, you know? And so I, I love the approach that you, like I said, when I found you, oh my God, I was like, oh my God, we wish you and it's in Tahoe. I lived in Tahoe forever. And then we both lived in Reno and I'm like, oh my God, I was totally meant to meet her. And, and now you in Dallas lived in Utah. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, I just, I'm like, okay, how do I work with them? Like how, because I, I want, I would love your model all over. I mean, it's just, especially with youth, you know, and I'm like, okay, well I have, so I have a mobile fitness. What I, I turned a toy hauler into a, a gym. Oh, and, badass. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's so, what I wanted yeah. to get to is to find out about that. It's so yeah, cool. So I, when I created the nonprofit, I'm like, that's it. I got to do what I see works. And for me, fitness works. And I, so I identified the barriers, barriers of facilities, staff, time, um, you know, all of that. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to them. I, there's no excuse. <laughs> Take it to them. It's, yeah, it's coming. I did. So I, we used to have motorcycles and dirt bikes and I had a toy hauler and I'm like, well, what do I do with it? I'm like, Hey, in the off season, I'm going to turn it into a gym. So I did. And then that's what I would take to the different facilities. And the kids loved it. Like, and I had a full, I mean, everything, a whole TRX. I had a weight rack. I mean, every, every modality you could think. And it was awesome. We would do hit style workouts. You know, I'm not going to have their attention for an hour, but we would do our program first and then we would run the workout. And um, being able to meet them again, w literally physically where they're at, take away this barrier. You know? And again, for me being a drug and alcohol counselor and having some of this background, it really helps for facilities to hire me. But I'm like, with what you do, what would, that would just be a brilliant, like my trailers and elevate, it's an elevate model now, you know? And so I just, I know the power of health and fitness. I know the power of what we do. And unfortunately, a lot of times because especially with the kids I work with, they don't have a license. They can't drive. They can't get to a gym. Yeah, yeah. they can't afford a gym membership. Yeah. No, and unless they're contained in a facility, you know, how do I meet them? And so, and a lot of them can't even get their license because they have criminal charges and then their license is taken away for a year. And I'm like, dear Lord. Um, and so it just feels like everything's stacked against them. You know, felons, it's a hard time to get a job. I mean, not a hard time. It's hard in general to get a job. And so again, with my model, I only want people that have been through addiction. And my goal is to, I don't know if I want to say franchise, but have people who have been through drug and alcohol addiction. The model is sustainable and duplicatable and being able to take that to other facilities or meet people where they're at all around the country and provide this within the framework of my curriculum. But then I also would love to create, um, and I had asked you about this, I will create where these adults, kids, whatever, that go through the program are clean and sober and want to do this model, um, then there's some sort of certification. And they're, so now they're certified to take this knowledge and to go be able to implement it. And again, that's empowering. Like, we need to empower this population. 
then not stigmatize it. And I, that was the whole premise of Oregon legalizing this shit was to right. stigmatize addiction. But somebody isn't looking at the whole picture. You know, we're not that. It's a very ignorant lens to to view it through. Yeah, I think they confused it with enabling. They met stigma with enabling right in the middle and went legalization. A hundred percent. A hundred. The enabling codependency is real. And it is. Oh, yeah. And again, I don't, you know, I'm sure you've gone through some staff, but from just like a staffing perspective in some of these, you see that, you know, we had, we've had staff, um, one, get into relationships with some of the youth, which is what? Um, And then then we'll go buy certain products or certain things just for one kid, you know? And so you see a lot of that boundary crossing, like you said. And so, so let's educate this population, get them certified, the whole thing. I mean, we all love helping people. Obviously we wouldn't be here. And 90% of the population that works in this industry has been through something. We just have, and we want to give back, you know, but there's a part where we can't, we can't give ourselves. you know, you have to have that self boundary too. But I, I just, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm super passionate. I love being able to pull up at my trailer, set up a whole workout. The kids freaking love it, you know? And also what it does too, is teaches them to work with each other. They don't know how with each other oh no we're addressing so many more skills than just fitness no i'm gonna make you partner up with somebody you don't want to talk to you know (laughs) six weeks like the teacher she was like i have never seen these kids get along and like she's like they have each other's back and i'm like that's the beauty of this you know take them out of their comfort zone and they're very malleable um as long as they can relate to you and so, uh, again, I, I know it's a, a model that can, it is duplicatable and sustainable. And again, it's around the fitness, you know, it's, it's all about feeling better about yourself and, um, being able to then carry that on, you know, you went through addiction and recovery, right. And through a treatment center. Now look where you are, you know, like that's what we need more of. Well, and that's why 95% of our staff have all been through it. You know, so we, we get it from the, from every, every area we get it. And, and that is part of our huge success. Yes. Yeah. Well, we used to be like, I don't want to say embarrassed about it, but it's like, Ooh, what what are people going to think if they know, you know, a bunch of drug addicts are are running drug rehab, but, (laughs) but the reality is the clients love it. It's like their number one favorite thing about us is that we, we're all relatable because we've all been there, which makes us better counselors and able to handle them because we know they can take it when we, when we got to be hard or we got to push them harder. We're not. Um, I don't want to say we're not empathetic, but we're not sympathetic. And we, and I think that's key because when you get sympathetic to their situations, you're not really helping them. And so we've got to, you know, help them find their accountability and responsibility. And we know how hard we can push. See, and that's, and you just got an award. I know you guys just got an award for the most success. So clearly your model is working. You know, I mean, that's that, that, those are true statistics, you know, don't have some inside house telling me that, you know, oh, we're meeting you know, standards and we're meeting ma- metrics and all that. Wait, what are your, what are your metrics? You know, like they don't even well <laughs> to real life, you know? So I love that you've gotten an award for that because you are, you're doing exactly that. You're meeting your clients where they're at, providing them what they need to actually sustainable sobriety, sustainable long-term sobriety. And I, I just, I love that. These things are uh, for youth showing them being successful, like actually getting out of addiction as a recovery mentor, um, and parent involvement. So mentorship has been a pivotal thing for, and I'm, you know, I'm really glad that Rimrod, like when I started as a recovery mentor five years ago, 
it was like brand new. So I basically got to help develop the program, which was awesome. Um, but mentorship is pivotal in success. And you're successful because you're relatable. Like, that's well, like same reason you're successful with all the youth you work with. Right. Same thing. You're relatable. You meet them where they're at. You don't evaluate for them. You let them tell you what's going on and you establish that trust and, and they know you've been there. So it goes, and it no goes a real long way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and there's no and I'm in contact with, you know, on most facilities, you know, like, OK, you can't be Facebook friends. Like one facility didn't care. Um, one was like, you can't. And I'm like, you know what? These kids are they need something. Of course. And so through Messenger and I've been able to work with kids that I've worked with 10 years ago. They're like, I'm literally, they'll reach out. I'm, I'm stuck in such and such a town. I'm like, great, I'll come pick you up. They're like, seriously? And I'm like, yeah. Like a lot of these, you know, have never had one person that they can contact or reach out to that has been there. It, you it do just, amazing work, Sarah. You do amazing I love it. work. I, yeah. I love it. I, you know, I have a big vision and I know it will happen. You know, that's when I, like I said, when I found you, I'm like, dude, it's doable. Like we can, you know, like yeah. everything that you do, that's when I'm like, oh my God, I just want to be like partners with her. Like, yeah, we should do it. You had me at oh, dogs, man. Oh, when oh, I heard you want to give everybody a dog, I'm like, dude, I've wanted that for oh, so yeah. long. I want animals as part of our treatment. Curriculum. Yes, yeah, so animals. much. I love animals so much. It's, and I feel well, like and, they're, and they're, especially so for kids. Yeah. Yes, because no, they don't trust. This population, especially addicts uh, from 12 to 80, they don't trust anybody let alone themselves so be and you've seen like the shows where they where they bring dogs into the prisons and the yeah prison, i was about to say that it's extremely successful and so and they've had that the horse one too where they used to train the wild horses like really powerful but animals are so therapeutic and they and and you like i've relied on my dogs more than people you know and so <laughs> able to provide rescue a dog the old dog from the shelter that won't otherwise have a life and then the kid gets to take care of it. like it's just again it's increasing their identity and you know so that's why when i talk about holistic we got to meet them and we got to look at through things through a different lens we have to look outside the box we can't do what we've been doing it's 2020 for god's sake and meeting like i said i love the youth because if we can you know address it when they're young and they don't become you know they don't get into the adult system they don't have kids that are then addicts um and you end the cycle a little bit yeah. That's in the, the cycle, That's my, in the like, suffering. <laughs> generational addiction and poverty is, is got to end. Like, and it all just, it goes hand in hand. And, you know, uh, just the hopelessness of this country in our current state where we're at, literally the divisiveness and things that are happening. I mean, I know you've seen it. Your numbers are up. Suicide is up. Drug use is up. Um, all of these, you know, mental health, and I mean, it's co-occurring. You know, what's first? I was an addict or I was depressed. Was I depressed or not? You know, it all goes hand Chicken in hand. Chicken or the egg. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you see the numbers just skyrocketing. I mean, just the mental health fallout from this is is going to be, I mean, I see my own kids that are struggling not being able to go to school, you know? So, yeah, it's taking a toll. It, it's amazing. Like, it, because I think we desperately need more community, more coming together. Well, I can tell with your determination and intention, you are definitely going to make that happen. You're going to get you. connected with the right person, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited. excited for that because the world needs people like you and we need to be able to help juveniles. I was just going to say too, Sarah, where can where can people find you? Are you on social media, your websites, your nonprofits? What did, what can you give the audience so they can get more of you? Sarah, Sarah Vincent on Facebook, uh, Sarah Joe uh, 
sole purpose on Instagram. And then uh, www.lifesoulpurpose.org is my nonprofit. Gotcha. Um, my other contact, you can email me there, um, anything, uh, reach out. So my, my website has uh, more, you know, different veins of what I do and how you can reach me and contact me. So. Of course. Awesome. Well, we'll I'll make sure to link that all in the notes of the podcast Perfect. so they don't have to be writing it down with pen and paper. Right. They could just click the link. We'll make it super easy for them so they can't miss Perfect. it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Awesome. And they take a listen to your podcast. Um, get on the website. Learn about Thug Life. Yeah. I, I love that acronym. That's so funny. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, I'm excited. Yeah, my podcast will be, and Grit and Grace um, will be launching in the next, I think, two weeks. So I'm just getting all my interviews together, and I actually need to get all your um, a picture and then your handles as well so I can get that launched. But, yeah, I'm super excited. It's all about overcoming adversity and, you know, how we can then thrive um, after overcoming adversity, So which both of you are clearly doing very well. So very excited. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. We Thank appreciate you. everything. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.